Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Well, welcome back for another edition of the Pandora podcast. I am Melissa Cady, and I'm joined by Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and we are going to discuss uh, something related to, you know, we are going through this COVID pandemic, but we want to discuss this idea or the situation of why your pain could be worse during a viral pandemic. Any first thoughts, Dr. Kakaro or Dr. Yeah. Kevin? Yeah, of course, I always have first thoughts on this stuff, <laughs> right? Now, um... I, and I think this is important, right? So, so this comes back to, and I can never remember if we actually did this episode or not, talking about what pain is and what isn't and kind of what makes it increase and what decreases it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you move away, because here's, this would be very, very confusing. If you are like, oh my gosh, I know pain. It means damage, that something's wrong with my body. Then it's not going to make sense if you're staying at home and you're stuck in home you're not coughing, you're not congested, you're not, you haven't caught the COVID, uh, you don't have any other diseases, and yet all of a sudden your pain's flaring. That would be very disconcerting. It wouldn't, it wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense because you're like, how in the world did I injure myself? Or how in the world is something wrong with my body? Um, in that confusion then, would, we wouldn't be shocked to see that now you're like wondering, oh my God, something must be wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Do I have to go to the hospital? I'm gonna get cash something because everybody knows that all this stuff is everywhere. And then it flares even more. And instead, though, if you start shifting again to this fundamental understanding of pain, when you stop, you start moving in line with what modern science shows, that pain is not about protection per se or intrinsically. Pain is about protection. And so if we know that pain is trying to protect us from something, the primary modulator of what we need to be concerned with when pain increases or decreases is threat. You know, am I nervous? Am I scared? Am I stressed? What's dangerous in my life? What's dangerous do I perceive in my body? And when we, so we pull in that threat percent, uh, that threat principle and understand that now things start making sense. Because right now I would be shocked if there are a lot of people thinking, wow, I'm safe or the world is such a wonderful place to live in right now, rather than the I'm scared to pick up the mail because God knows what's on the mail. Maybe the mailman was coughing on it. Kind of a thing. Uh, and so that I think is, is just that little understanding of pulling in this idea of threat rather than damage with pain. And it starts to make sense while pain may flare. In fact, it would be incredibly, I would be shocked if there are people out there who are not having flares of pain in this moment in time because people are stressed. People are feeling threatened. There is a perception of danger all over the place. Mm-hmm. And again, the more we understand pain, then that tight relationship that we have with danger, it would make sense that it would, your pain would flare. And that's not to say that your, you know, your, your spine's disintegrating, your body's falling apart. The pain is 100% real. It's, a, it's a 100% um, awful. No one likes it. Uh, but the, what, the fact of the matter is when you start understanding this threat and danger principle, now what we know is how can we help ourselves feel safe? How can we redirect our attention? And then we can actually feel, feel better, which is even more important in this day and age since you can't go to the hospitals or clinics or anything else right now. You're supposed to stay home, right? And right. pain is on that non-essential list. 
right? <laughs> All right, unless it's unless it's associated with those rare emergencies, which are a very tiny percentage. Like crushing uh, chest pain. <laughs> yeah, chest pain, you know, or that'd be a reasonable. Bone sticking out of your leg, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> a little bit different. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned this idea of not feeling safe with a, you know, just the virus itself, whether it's, you know, just been coughed onto your mail or, you know, and we know there's various timings with the surfaces and I'm not going to get into that because it seems to be changing on a daily basis, but um, it's not just those senses of threat, but people's incomes um, and can be a threat to their survival. There can be, well, in some places, people are worried about their toilet paper. So <laughs> there's going to be, you know, there's threat that they won't have anything um, to wipe, so to speak. But, um, but there's just this threat of a lot of things that are piling on top of each other, which can magnify um, exponentially people's sense of whether or not they're safe or not. And so I think, you know, for me, I'll speak just, you know, we talk about sleep a lot, but, you know, last night I didn't have the best sleep because of noises and eruptions and, and that can impact our immune system. <clears throat> People are trying to strategize their, their business and how to keep it afloat and they're not getting sleep. I mean, those, those are definitely other areas that are threatening to the body itself when you, you know, can't support that immune system to fight off whatever might come your way. Well, and, and that's a, a key piece to distinguish. So there's perceived threat, right? So what are the threats that we see? Um, and then there's bodily threats as well. And those, the, the, the brain responds in the same way. So those would be things like lack of sleep, or now you're feeling fatigued, you have energy reserves are low, your brain doesn't like being non-rested, sleep is essential. Without sleep, uh, you die. Um, but uh, that's a threat, right? And so... Um, Get, it just kind of moves into that same understanding of when you start moving away from the idea that pain equals damage to pain is about protection, it transforms how you see or how you experience pain, number one, and number two, what you can do for it. Because right. all it becomes is, is identifying what those threats are and then finding ways to either address them or feel safe or to redirect your attention. Right. And so if, if you're sleeping or if you didn't sleep last night, cause you have animals running around your backyards, mm -hmm. making alarms going off, <laughs> then, um, and your pain flares, it no longer is, Oh my God, I'm so tired. And my pain is flaring. This is so awful. Something must be wrong with me even more because my pain's so bad instead is, Oh my God, I didn't sleep really good. Oh God, my pain is flaring probably because I didn't sleep well and my body is and brain are feeling threatened. I need to focus on my sleep. And right. now since we're focusing on sleep, now that we have a solution, we have um, a course of action that we can engage in. Uh, just by taking that sense of action and making sense of the scenario, we've now improved a sense of personal control. We're increasing our sense of safety. And again, then it becomes more likely that our pain is actually gonna reduce. We'll go away completely. Maybe, maybe not more likely than not in some scenarios, but it's a lot better than not, you know, having the threat of not sleeping, feeling horrible days you didn't sleeping. And now your pain is flaring and you don't know why and you have all in uncertainty and now you feel even more unsafe and that's even worse, which is more likely to impair your sleep tonight. Right. So. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting, the things that, you know, you can do to help yourself when, um, what I've noticed is I've been doing a little more sitting 
hence being in front of a computer. <laughs> I have had less variety of motion. Um, I've had um, a little bit less active, but I'm still trying to be active. But the moment that I was, you know, recognizing like tightness, it wasn't quite pain. I was just feeling sensations of tightness. And then I was noticing certain extreme, you know, if I was laying on my stomach and just in general, the sensations were starting to creep. They were starting to get a little bit more, uh, more tension and it started becoming what I would normally would call pain if I wasn't familiar with it. But this trend has happened to me multiple times before mm -hmm. where I start feeling and sensing things again tighter and it's, it's not adapting well to certain positions. And so I made myself go outside and do walk. I didn't go into my jog until I kind of get my, my body ready for that kind of activity and gradually did some slower motions and then worked into the jogging. And I know in the past I've been told by, you know, friends of mine that I, you know, shouldn't run because of all this degenerative disc disease and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's such hogwash. Um, so anyway, I, I feel better today from what was actually uncomfortable. It actually, at first in certain points of it, it, it was a little uncomfortable. You could probably consider pain, but I know my, how my body has responded because I've put it in those predicaments before and I've addressed it with more variety of motion and movement and the benefit the next day was in fact, even right afterwards, there was some soreness, but it was, it wasn't like unbearable and I didn't see it as a negative threat or anything like that. So today I feel better that I, you know, whether my attributions are correct or not, I, I felt like I knew that I was threatening myself by not moving, um, or at least that's how my body responds to it. So um, and those sensations were almost your body's way of telling you of a threat, right? There is saying, yeah. it's like, get off your rear end, go do something. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and they're calling attention. Mm -hmm. This is not our normal. You might want to pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. What should we do next? Right. That's yeah. all the sensations telling you. Yeah. And, uh, and the other advantage that you have as compared to, or I should say what the advantage that you have that we're hoping people get as they listen to these episodes is you understand pain. And so those sensations then, when you remove the threat associated with them and you put it, replace it with some understanding and awareness of mm -hmm. what, oh yeah, this is just telling me this, it's not saying this, there's not this unknown factor of what this means. Uh, when you have that sense of certainty with it and, and you're not, again, you understand what it means is, is not my body is falling apart, but I need to move or I need to do this or that's calling my attention to take a course of action you're less likely to experience pain. You know, it's funny because when we look at actually just even the more you understand about pain, the less pain you tend to experience and the less intense it is. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's great. And isn't it, aren't you so blessed that your body was telling you these things? Oh, it's great. Waiting for you to, uh, you know, get a pressure ulcer on your butt or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's, a, there's some people, I think there is, uh, I, I, um, from my own experience, I feel like we all have various vulnerabilities. Um, some of us can sit longer than others without, you know, getting the sensation doesn't bother as much and, but yet they still move and they're fine and they don't get these extreme sensations. But I can tell you from that little experience, I mentioned that it's built belief and not only my body, 
but also belief in myself that I can help self-correct that because over and over again, I've proved it to myself that I've had the capacity to change this experience. And that's what I think, I think we want to give people hope that there is a way to change your pain, but it also depends on how you're, you're understanding it, reading it, addressing it, and, you know, um, interpreting it. And de-threatenizing it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's where it gets exciting, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we're kind of geeks on this stuff because, you know, we, we can actually say we get excited about pain and, and most people think we're crazy. Um, but it's, it is really important for people to understand that there are some really valuable, it's, it's when you understand pain, it helps you understand so many things in life. And when you look at just the human body and the nervous system and stress and anxiety, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, all these things help you really kind of see it as just this spectrum of, of threat and how your body's responding to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm just like, that's, you talk about that quite a bit. And, uh, I guess, uh, in a way I'm always, even though I love to teach, I'm always a student as well. And, um, there's so much for us to still learn about pain, but, there's so far we need to go in this country to help people just get the basic foundations down. Well, I think, I think there's one of the reasons that we talk about this stuff too, is because we're hoping to go to a point where we can start really engaging and like going to that more advanced stuff. I think, I mean, that stuff is exciting. That's well, that's all exciting, but that stuff gets really, really exciting, but it's like anything you can't get to that more advanced material without having a foundation. Right. Which is one of the fr frustrations, I think, when it comes to pain is that everybody's saying, well, tell me what to do, right? And we can, and there's certain things that you can do, but these magic buttons, it's not a magic button. It's more like it's, it's, it, it takes a little bit of work, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I guess the closest example, you know, if, if, if someone's having financial stress, you can give them a million bucks. But without having an understanding of finances in general, that's a temporary measure. It's mm -hmm. a short-term fix. And it actually can increase harm associated with it. Because if you look at like the lottery data, where people have, have been playing this game, buying lottery tickets, and, they, and then they win the lottery. And over and over and over and again, what you see is long-term, usually about two to three or four years, they're either bankrupt again. Yeah. Uh, their family relationships are now impaired because they didn't have that financial understanding when it started. Uh, and so what, was so what sounded so good ends up to be an absolute disaster. As compared to if you understand the finances and you understand things like, well, savings and income and uh, rainy day funds and, um, you know, and, and just some really basic monetary strategies, which they don't teach it partly anymore in school. I don't, you know, we don't, we don't teach basic functioning anymore in school. Um, but if you had that up front and then sure you win the lottery, your life is going to be a whole heck of a lot better, mm -hmm. but you have to have that information up front. And yeah. if you never win the lottery, you're still better off. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what, and that's what about the more you understand pain, the more you learn about it, the more you invest just a little bit of time into this stuff. And some really, really basic strategies and really, really basic knowledge is like the first one we let off with moving away from the idea that pain equals damage until pain is protection 
And sometimes it's protecting you from things like a broken bone. And a lot of times it isn't. But just having those little teeny shifts will pay you dividends down the road, um, whether or not a million dollars drops on your lap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, it's, you just made me, I had this thought about vigilance and, and when you talk about threat and, and when it comes to pain and this idea about protection and I think vigilance is a really, um, good word that I think a lot of people, if they know what the word means, can understand when they see it. Um, but I remember mentioning something to a, colleague of mine and how it was describing the patient because I sensed that they were very fearful a lot of just a lot of anxiety leading up to a surgery and had a history of chronic pain and I was trying to give this this image of someone who's really hyper vigilant and um, they kind of they kind of stopped in their tracks and they said wow that's like a really good word for it because you know, the way you're trained, you're not thinking hypervigilance and all this stuff. It's more like, okay, they're anxious and, you know, or they're crazy or whatever it is. But when you just give this just general statement that this, this person is being hypervigilant, I mean, that could be, they could have multiple diagnoses off that if you really wanted to. But in essence, you just, you know, this person doesn't feel safe. They, they, they're, they need someone to make them feel safe. And so um, it was just interesting to see someone kind of like, like the light bulb went on, like they, they realized, well, that's a really good way to describe somebody like that versus the way we traditionally just deal with people with these diagnoses and being annoyed by them or whatever, um, which is empowering definition. Yes, yes. But I mean, the moment you bring it even to the patient's attention that, you know, you seem to have a really good nervous system. It's like super hypervigilant looking out for you. I mean, that just drops a lot of this, this, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uncertainty, I would say part of it. Uh, yeah. Uncertainty and just the, the stigma. And the stigma. Of, yeah, that people might feel because of the other diagnoses that they were labeled with. Well, you, you switch, that's a perspective shift too, right? Mm -hmm. If you tell someone they're anxious, that has a negative connotation to it. Yeah. Like you're anxious. And in some ways that says that whatever you're experiencing is invalid. Yeah. Because, because it's, diff, it's not normal and, and, and now you need to take clonopin or something for it, right? Mm -hmm. But shifting it to vigilance has a more positive connotation with the word. And we're saying hypervigilant, you know, vigilant, the root of it, the etymology is like awake to stay awake, right? So now you're saying super awake. Yeah. That's a, that's a big difference because now what you're saying is you're super awake and alert. It's a strength sounding. That's a strength sounding thing. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. where we, before we would say this was a negative thing. Now you like, I loved how you frame that is you have a super, you have a highly protective nervous system. It's really engaged and it's working hard to keep you safe. Yeah. That little perspective shift alone changes it changes that experience is associated with is your heart still racing probably you know is your your tension scanning yeah is your you know your stomach may have butterflies in it but that's a that's a different perception to have saying i'm hyper vigilant i'm protecting myself and i'm anxious i'm uncertain is this right this is you know this, other people don't feel this way it doesn't matter what other people feel this is your feelings this is your experience in that moment of time and if you are have if you're hyper vigilant there's a reason the reason is you're seeing a lot of threat or you're, you're per perceiving there's a potential possibility of a lot of danger and your brain and, and body are doing the best it can to protect you. So yeah, I, I agree. The words, you know, that's a whole nother episode. 
the words and language that we use and how that influences it influences your own internal perception of what's occurring to you, but then it actually impacts other people around you. And I can't, I, did we talk about, we, I think, did we talk about that just with like physicians and, and healthcare providers and the words that we use, um, you know, and the power that has with our patients and clients. Um, but then you start thinking about your friends and family members and the words that they're using as well. Um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, just having, again, a level of awareness on the terminology and frame, framing things to what actually is protective, what decreases that threat. And, uh, you know, hypervigilance is one of them. It's a much better term than calling people anxious or hypochondriacs or um, trying to think of the other ones. Yeah, I know there's more out there. Yeah, there's, um, or just even like diagnoses that, you know, the different names we use, like you said, but um yeah, I made a note here that we'll we'll have to maybe talk about that um, in a future episode. Um, but I think that's probably a good place to to finish off with. It's just this idea of, of vigilance that hypervigilance during a viral pandemic is a typical response out of concerns or fears, and and that that in and of itself can lead to someone's pain to be worse um, because of the way pain is there to really protect you and, and keep you safe. And there's a lot of layers of different concerns and fears people have during a situation like this. Absolutely. Any last thoughts or want to close us out? Final words. cough <laughs> <laughs> From the uh, universe in your background. <laughs> yes, before I disappear before you disappear again you know um <laughs> I, I i think that's good and i, I just i want to encourage people is it it it, it, it in, in that kind of scenario when you're in a viral pan- pandemic when we have all this this threat around us vigilance is actually a good thing to do to be vigilant makes sense you know hyper vigilant we're probably pushing in the thresholds of maybe we're being a little too much but it's still protective um, but just again, pulling that idea of threat and perception of threat and hypervigilance and then why or why not your pain may be flaring right now, hopefully provides some sense and certainty and a sense of safety as well. So yeah. it's still trying to do the thing it wants to do. It's trying to keep you safe. It's just maybe doing it in ways that are not uh, the most pleasant uh, in, in some scenarios. Thanks for joining us again to another episode of the Pain Door Podcast. And until next time, I'm Dr. Kevin. I'm Dr. Katie. Katie. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Pain Door Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.